All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, I'd appreciate that. Psalm 47. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. We encourage you to grab and to use. If you don't have one at home, don't own one, you can take the one in the pew rack, and that is our gift to you. So there you go, okay? We in Psalm 47, just continuing right on through our summer of the Psalms. And uh, just, I mean, for some of you may not know, but uh, that is something we've been doing now for probably five years, five summers, if not more. So we have a lot more summers to go through the Psalms. Um, and we uh, will end um, this summer uh, on Psalm 47. So Psalm 47 is where we are. Uh, as we have observed and discussed in, the, uh, in this book, this is the second book of uh, the Psalms uh, that we tackled this year, uh, this summer. And we've seen um, it, it's, it's set up in a, in a way that, that indicates and shows Israel's history. And it highlights moments in their history of, of key worship and of prayer and even sorrow or lament uh, that corresponds to what's going on in their life. Uh, and now, we may not always know exactly for sure why or when a psalm was written, kind of what was going on. We can kind of infer. And so uh, today, we are going to kind of infer that this is when David had brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and, and wanted God in his rightful spot and rightful throne. And the people praised that, and in their praise, they uh, let the Lord ascend. Uh, why does it fit there? Well, we see a lot of this biblical narrative of 2 Samuel correspond to the, the several psalms we have been looking at here recently. Psalm 45 that Alistair preached a couple weeks ago, uh, it, it shows the hero king who's anointed king over Israel and Judah, and we see uh, that story in 2 Samuel 5. Then if we fast forward from Psalm 45 to Psalm 51, which we haven't quite got to yet, what we see is David's uh, uh, sorrowful, repentant psalm uh, over his sin with Bathsheba. So Psalm 51 is tied back to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. So we have 5 and 11, and sandwiched in between uh, 5 and 11 are 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. I went to school, I learned that. And so uh, in that area, we also see the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. So uh, it is thought that this is about the Ark of the Covenant coming back uh, into uh, Jerusalem and, and God to have his rightful place, and that's what we see going on in Psalm 47. Uh, it could also be argued that this is uh, an aftermath from uh, Hezekiah when uh, God, God uh, had, had delivered Israel um, under King Hezekiah, when the angel went out and destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. We saw some of that in a couple of weeks ago, and this is just more of that story building. Uh, whatever it is, we see that God is in, his, in and on his rightful throne, and he is to be worshipped in that way. We also need to be reminded about the flow that we have seen happening in this text because I think it makes it more personal for you and me. Um, the flow here is, is the natural course of the human heart, of the heart of Israel, and what's going on in individuals and in the company of the community of Israel. We've gone uh, through an individual, right? We've seen the individual lament and be discouraged and sorrowful and in despair and cry out to God and, and then preach to his own soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? And then we saw it build from the individual. Uh, it multiplied and it built into the whole community in Psalm 44. But those laments and those crying out to God were not falling on deaf ears. God heard, and those laments were met with the provision of a king, the good and noble and righteous king that we saw in Psalm 45. And all the while this was happening in Israel's day, that king wasn't as noble as the most noble king would ever be, and that king is the king of kings. 
and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this foreshadows Jesus Christ and His coming and the, the one day that He will rule and reign. And so that's not different even today. As we see it go from the, the provision of the King established in Psalm 45, we see uh, He Himself is established and His city is established as a mighty fortress like we just heard from the piano music behind us and the screen. The mighty fortress is our God in Psalm 46. So now in Psalm 47, we see the people of His kingdom who are safe and secure because He is a mighty fortress are responding to the greatness of their King with reverent, responsive worship. Reverent, responsive worship. That's the title of today's text or today's sermon, Responsive Worship. And it was interesting today, God never works in, uh, He always works in mysteries, but it's, uh, it never coincidences, right? And uh, I, I was handed this by one of our folks who saw the title of the sermon and thought, huh, this is interesting, and, and I put this together. This is a quote. Uh, she handed it, this to me earlier. It says, Worship isn't our attempt to be with Jesus. It's our response to having been with Jesus. You know, when we talk about worship, and, and certainly our church has gone through uh, a reformation, as you will, uh, in the way that we worship as a church, as a congregation, that we do it congregationally, accessibly, and it's not just to make us feel warm and fuzzy. We worship here because God has saved us and He is a Redeemer and we exalt Him and we lift Him up and put Him in His proper, rightful place. Not only in our church, in our midst, but today we'll see even in our own hearts. It's a time when our distraction needs to be set aside and our hearts need to be turning towards the Lord Jesus so we might worship Him fully in spirit and in truth. Remember the last from uh, Psalm 46, uh, the, the, the crux of that passage was stop your fighting and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. That, that we are uh, at times at war with God and certainly before we come to faith in Christ and put our faith in Christ, we are God's enemies and we are at war with God, continuing to push Him away and resist Him all the while. And all the while God is saying stop fighting. Stop your fighting and know I am God. And which means you are not God. It means that I am not God. It means that there's no world leader that has ever been, is, or will be that is God except God. And he will be exalted above the nations and the peoples we'll see today. He will be the one that is exalted. And so for you and I, as we look at this triumph of the king who will one day rule and reign forever, today he should rule and reign in our hearts above everything else. And that's what we're going to see today. And that when we have stopped our fighting, and realize that He is God and that our desire is to exalt Him, it will come about in real worship. When He is the King over me through His redemption, through His forgiveness, I will worship Him in response to Him. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get into our text in Psalm 47. Father, like so many other days of the week or months or years, there are distractions. There are interruptions. God, there's, there's heaviness and burden that is uh, in our hearts or on our minds. And so God, I, I pray right now that you would help us to set those distractions aside. That whatever is the heaviness there, that God, you would, you would allow us to come to you and, and find rest and hope because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, our greatest desire is not to hold on to those burdens and not to not to create more burdens for ourselves through our pride or our sin, but God, to give those up. 
and to be at rest and peace with you. So God, as we're here today, uh, so many of us are here in, in different capacities from different walks of life, different stories, even different things that have happened this very morning. But you are aware of them all. And God, you have brought us together today for such a time as this. So we quiet our hearts before you. We ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, would, would be present amongst us in our midst, God, convicting us of sin and reminding us of your faithfulness and your love through Jesus Christ. That our hearts would yield our own pride and our own selfish desires to you. That we would seek to be changed and transformed by your word today. That we would find it like food and we would want to eat it up and let it nourish our soul. And that, God, you'd be, you would be reminding us all the while of what you have accomplished for us through the cross of Christ and through faith in him. And God, that our hearts would well up with worship and that we would not help but sing, but praise, but exalt you in all that we do and say. We commit our time to you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to go and read the whole Psalm 47 and then we'll get into our text and dig, dig in deep. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God ascends among shouts of joy. The Lord with, with the shouts of trumpets. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our King. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom for God is King over the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated in His holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of God, of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the Word of God. Amen. So today as we look at Psalm 47, we're going to look at what responsive worship does and, and what it should do in our lives and what the focus should be as we come to God. I, I think there's a, sometimes a disconnect. When we, when we think of worship, we're like, man, I, I know it was in my car that one day and I had the radio turned on to Caleb or whatever it was and, and your Spotify list and there's a worship song and it just... It just hit me and moved me, and I was crying. And, and those are good moments. I've had lots of those moments. But we tend to desire, and I think our culture has, has even made this, it's crept into Christendom. It's, it creeps into our ch very churches. That there is a, a movement that says, listen, if you can't be uh, lovey-dovey, feely, emotional about a song and from a song, then you're doing it wrong. And, and what we do is it breeds this consumerism model that says, I'm going to church, and this, it's just going to move me. Where it's like, no, I am going to church because I am the church. I'm part of the church by God's grace. And I'm going to go to the church with the church. And I'm going to exalt Jesus Christ in all that I do. Because he has saved me. And as we exalt him, we, we're reminded and we're reminding one another through song and through the word and through prayer of who he is. Not how great you are or how great you feel, but how, how great he is and how amazing he is and how mighty to save he is. And how he is a mighty fortress for those who put their faith in him. 
we're reminded that not through my own endeavor, as we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that not through my own endeavor or my own will or my own works, my salvation was accomplished. It was accomplished through Jesus Christ, and it's in Him alone that we boast. We come here to boast in Him. And His Word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It will penetrate the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And as the Word of God goes out through song and worship, and through the preaching of God's Word, and through prayer, and through conversation, as it goes out, it does not return void or empty. It does exactly what He intends it to do. And that's what we should be looking for. God, what are you going to accomplish in me through you? Not God, make me feel good today and have an emotional high so I can leave thinking I'm okay. That's the wrong style of worship. We worship, you think about where we've been in Psalms. If this Psalm is a response and a response of worship to the King, it is because He has subdued everything under Him. That He has conquered everyone. That He is the only God that we can serve. He's the only fortress we will ever have. That's, that's why we worship. Because we are found in Him, under Him as a fortress, as nothing else will ever do. So as we, as we respond in worship, uh, our hearts should be responding from the grace of Jesus Christ. So look at this today. Let's look at what the psalmist says. What should be present in our responsive worship? Number one is this. Responsive worship should proclaim God's majesty to the nations. It's an outward focus, isn't it? But it's from an inward change that has happened in my own heart. It's an outward focus. Proclaims God's majesty to the nations. Look at Psalm 47, 1-4. through 4. He says, clap your hands, all you peoples. These are the people who have stopped fighting and know He is God, right, and exalted Him. Clap your hands, you peoples. All people shout to God with jubilant cry, for the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great King over the whole earth. He subdues peoples under, his, under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom He loves, Selah. It's like, set, let that sink in, let it... Let it soak into the core. So that response right away to God's kingship and His subduing should be, I'm going to clap my hands and worship. I'm going to praise Him with a jubilant cry. Alistair read Psalm 90, 98 where we're, we're, we're trumpets and the lyre. We're making noise with music. I think there's one day that, you know, sometimes we get kind of, like, it's too much music, it's too loud. Or it's, I don't think God's going to ever say that. He's like, add another set of drums. Add another trumpet. Let's get the trombone. Let's get let's louder. Loud, why? Because as, and we'll see in a minute as 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 that goes forward, God is ascended. He is raised up. But this this proclaims His Majesty to the nations. So His Majesty is His might, His power. Right? He's the Most High. And verse two says, "Most High and awe-inspiring God." This is Majesty. This is the one that's above everyone else. He's most high and inspiring. And he says that he subdues. This is, a, this is majestic about God. That, that he will have the final authority. And he says he chooses for us and our inheritance. That, he, that he's looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying, I love you and I've got something amazing for you. I'm the God over the whole earth and over every people and over every nation. But you, I've got something for you. I love you. I've got something amazing. It's an inheritance that, that was never able to be bought by you, but it's, it was mine all along, and I'm going to give it to you. That's how much God loves us. And when we, when we understand that message, we shouldn't help but share it with the nations. 
you look in your pew rack, you'll see this little pamphlet that says, Missionaries We Support. Why? It's not just to make us feel good. Look how many missionaries we support. It's so amazing. We want it, the Word of God. We want this to go out to the nations. That the nations could be glad in God and not in their false gods that are all around and so, so prevalent. We proclaim God's mighty or His majesty to the nations. His power is there. And we see it in our psalm from last week. We saw that um, Israel, right? They were saying, Israel, your, your God is good, but look at the nations. The nations rage, right? And the kingdoms topple, they fall. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This idea of being a mighty fortress is not an idea. It's a truth that when we are in Christ, when he is ours, he is our mighty fortress. And, and when everything else is being toppled, and when he, when he melts the earth as he lifts his voice, the God of armies is with us. Not against us. But in his just judgment, he is against sin and those who would continue to rebel against him. So we proclaim to the nations, come and see the works of God who will bring devastation upon the earth. Listen, it, you think about Israel and, and how even if you and I want to lump ourselves into Israel as God's chosen people, God's, God's church, Israel has fought and won victory only, only by God's gracious power. Any battle I have faced or you have faced or that the nation of Israel faced, when they were brought out of Egypt and went into the land of Cana, people said, oh, wow, they, they kicked out whoever was there. Those people were, were sinful and, and, and against God. And, and guess whose land that was? Not Israel's. God's. And God can do with it whatever He wants and give it to whomever He wants. And what He said is, you are a special people. And I, through my power, am going to give you an inheritance. And this is the land I'm going to give you. The gift of the land is his gracious gift of God that is God's covenant, faithful love towards you and me. This inheritance we have is because of Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, it's what we, what we, what we get as a gift of God in eternal life. He gives us his covenant of his love. He is majestic in power and he is majestic in in His covenant love for us. So we ought to proclaim that. Amen? Uh, keep your finger here. Turn with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. I want to think about this as we proclaim this to the nations. This is the message. And it started all the way back in the beginning of Psalms. Psalm 2. Psalmist asked the question right away, why? He says, why do the nations rage? You're there? Again, the encouragement should be stop your fighting and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, right? So in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? He's saying, well, why do they keep on fighting God? He is going to win. The kings of the earth, they take their stand and the, the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Now this, this imagery is, is crazy. We don't quite catch... The power of it. When, when it says the nations rage or the people's plot in vain, that's, that's kind of a, a lower thing. Okay, nations are rejecting God and fighting. But then it says the rulers conspire together. Well, it, it kind of upped the ante then, doesn't it? When you think about the rulers or leaders or the princes of the world, 
You are talking about not only the power, but their influence over, over the military might of their nation. So now it's not just that the peoples are rejecting God and fighting in their own hearts or in their own homes or in their own communities. It is now that nations under the rulers, these powerful rulers with great vast armies are conspiring together, together in unity. They're uniting as one, not fighting against each other. They're fighting against the Lord's anointed one. Who is that? That's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. One day this battle also will be realized fully uh, in the Valley of Megiddo. It's a battle called Armageddon. If you're there, I hope you're behind Jesus and not in front of him. Because they rage and they conspire together and they say, let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off. They said, they can't bind us. We can do what we want. We're our own God. The one enthroned in heaven, the Lord ridicules them. He goes on, he says, he, then he speaks to them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. This is about the Lord Jesus. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. That's why I want to be behind him and not in front of him. I mean, he's the exalted one. And, and, and it's so amazing that it's, it's majestic in power and we proclaim his majesty to the nation and say, he's the one. Like you're all, you're all fighting in vain. You're arguing in vain. You're going, to, you're going to lose in the end. And that is, as we take the word, by the way, to the nations, it is not only just to the nations. It is to the individual that lives next door to you. It's the person that you encounter in the grocery store. The ones that are still fighting and resisting God. Say, hey, that's not good to resist God. You're doing this in vain. He will one day win and rule. Don't you want to be on His side? Because we see in the Psalm 47 that, that being on His side is, is being brought in as a people through His covenant love and that He gives us an inheritance and says, you are my people. Here is, I am your God. Here is your city. You will be safe and secure forever. It's amazing about the love of God. It's not just that God's a judge and you're going to all die. It's like, no, if you're under His wing, man, you're good. You're safe and secure because you are with Him. So, so what should our proclamation be? It's the end of Psalm 2. Let's keep going here. Verse 10. Here's the charge. And I'm going to say this not only as thinking about the nations, but I want you to be thinking about this yourself. Because I think some of you here today are still king of your own life. So here's what it says. Because of what we know about God, His might and His majesty, this warning of His power, so now, kings, be wise. Receive instructions, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with rever reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or He will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For His anger may ignite at any moment. But here's the great promise at the end of Psalm 2. All who take refuge in Him are happy. They're safe, and they're secure. But our worship, our responsive worship, proclaims to the world, to the nations, and to our neighbor, the one sitting by us at, at, at dinner or at, in our in a bookstore or in line at the grocery store, our worship and exaltation of God proclaims His majesty in power and in covenantial love to those 
who would put their faith in him. So we proclaim to the nations and to the peoples so they may wisely pay homage to the Son and find refuge in him. My charge to you, if you are still one of those kings resisting God, is stop your fighting and pay homage to the Son. Approach him in reverential awe because he is a God of covenant love towards you and wants you to know him and his forgiveness and do that today. His anger, it said, may ignite at any moment. Judgment is coming. For those that are safe and secure, we worship responsively to his kingship as a proclamation to the nations. Number two, our responsive worship is an admonishment for Christ to rule over us but in us. See, as we worship one another, sometimes I feel like I just need the feel-good lovey-doveys, right? It's, it's not, and we'll see in a minute a verse from uh, Colossians where, where we are actually, as a body of Christ, as we come and sing, we're not only to sing those songs and lift up Jesus with a thankful heart, we're also to sing those songs to ourselves and sing those songs to each other is what Scripture admonishes us, us to do. That we would, we would make sure that, that it is being proclaimed back and forth because you'll need to hear it and I'll need to hear it and I need that sung to my own heart. Sometimes, I, I, to confess, sometimes I'll, I'll be quiet as we're singing because I know that that song, I need you to sing it to me. I need to listen to you sing it to me. So the power of God's word and, and, the, and the power of the worship, responsive worship of the body can, can help me let Christ rule in my heart more deeply. Back in Psalm 47, let's go back to our text. Again, responsive worship is an admonishment for Christ to rule in us. Here's what happens. Verse 5, it says, God ascends, right? Go, gets lifted higher among shouts of joy. The Lord with the sound of the ram's horn. Verse 6, sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our King. Sing praise. What should we do? Sing praise. Right? We praise His name. We praise Him. We sing praise to Him for what He's done. Uh, sing a song of understanding or wisdom. This is, this is so important to grab onto. When we, some of those songs that are on the radio are like, it's just la di da di la di da di da there's no Jesus. Right? When we sing a song of understanding, what we're saying is we are singing the truth of God's Word. It better be biblical. How many, how many lies have I believed because of a song that I didn't even know I was listening to and it permeated my mind and my heart and I thought that's how God was or how I should be? And God's like, uh, wait a minute, wait, time out. That was not my word. And we got to go back to it, right? we got to make sure what we're singing and worshiping is songs of wisdom for God is king over the whole earth. So I don't want to sing anything that's going to make elevate me. I, I want to sing something that says Jesus Christ has died and that elevates me to a, a right standing with him. But it's only because of the blood. He paid it all. He is Lord. So we see this, this psalm that talk, talks about God ascending, and we, we put it back in the context of, of the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant was, was created and built to go along with Israel, and as it went along with Israel, it was said to be the, it was the presence of God was there, right? And wherever they'd go, they'd carry it along because it was the presence of God, and they wanted God with them. So as David and the company brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, they were so excited. Why? Because now in God's city, with God's people, God would reside there 
And so as, as these shouts of joy, the Ark of the Covenant, you can see it coming up the road into Jerusalem. They, there were shouts of praise, and the praise got louder as it got closer. And, and the, the more praise went up, the more Jesus, the God, God of the Bible, he, the more he ascended up onto his throne. And he was set in his place, and that was where God was to sit and reign and rule forever. Obviously, God wants, we need to ascend. Let God ascend to the throne. He is the Lord. In Psalm 99, it goes a little further to talk more about the ark and, and about this, this sitting on a throne. It says in Psalm 99, 1, 2, and 3, it says, The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. I think that's what that was. When, when the ark of the covenant was coming up right to, the, to, the, uh, to Jerusalem, as it was coming up, it was like the Lord reigns. And, and that worship was from a place of trembling. Like we have a, have a reverential fear and awe of God. But the peoples tremble. He is enthroned, it says, between the cherubim. It's interesting. It said, let the earth quake. What does that mean? Well, if you think about, you've, you've, anyone seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Indiana Jones. Or maybe in your study Bible right now, you're looking and you see this picture of what the Ark of the Covenant might look like. It's this box about 45 inches long by about, what, 24, 29, something like that, inches deep. And, and it's got on top a big gold lid right and on top of the lid is what two angels and they have big wings and they're pointing towards each other towards the middle and there's the space in between them it's called the mercy seat and what would happen is that the, the priest would come in and so the ark of the covenant now is in jerusalem and and, and sacrifices were being made for on behalf of the people the, the priest would enter the holy of holies only because he's set himself apart and sanctified himself and cleansed himself and, and they tied a rope around his, his foot just in case he didn't because he would fall down dead. they just pull him out. Who's next? Right? Who wants to go next? But he would go in and he would offer the sacrifice, the blood offering of a bull, and he'd put it on the mercy seat because at the mercy seat of the throne of God is where we find forgiveness of our sins. That's amazing, isn't it? So we talk about the Lord ascending. Where is he ascending to? He's ascending to the mercy seat where blood was spilled for our forgiveness, where we could be right with God and made righteous because of what He has accomplished. And it is where God is enthroned, not only as Lord. So we see this, God ascends as Lord. He is God and we will shout for joy. He is Lord. But it's not only as Lord, right? We honor Him and we revere Him as we worship Him and want Him to rule and reign in us, not only as Lord, but as Savior. He is our Savior I think too many people are, are, are worshiping God just in fear. Like, oh, I hope he doesn't smite me down today. I better get my act together today. And they forget about the Savior part. Like, yeah, he, he is to be feared and revered. But when you come to him in faith, he is your refuge and rescue. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. Because he is both Lord and Savior. But I think there's people on the other side of that, aren't there? Where he, hey, he's, he's just, he's, he's my Savior. He's my Savior. That's great. He's, he's my Savior, and His grace is enough for me, and His blood has covered all my sins, and I know I'm going to mess up, and I'll probably do things I, don't, I, I shouldn't do, but God will forgive me. It's okay. He's my Savior. Which we say, whoa, wait a minute. He's also the Lord. The Lord Most High. Awe-inspiring. Awe he, he needs to be both Lord and Savior. And so for you and I, as we have responsive worship, that worship back and forth to one another should proclaim the might of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the forgiveness of the Lord. And we sing that back and forth to one another. And, and as we do that, the Lord should ascend the throne even of our own hearts. 
so that our hearts would properly revere the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that He would be on His proper throne, not only in heaven or in Jerusalem at the mercy seat, but in a heart of a person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, of 99.1, says, let them praise your great and awe-inspiring name. He is holy. And we see that this, this Lord we're talking about is not just the God of the Old Testament. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 3. And Paul writes this. He says, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you want to be right with God, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's to all who believe. Seems pretty easy, right? Kind of hard to let down our own thing, though, and humble ourselves. But to all who believe, since there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you realize that word all have sinned means that all of us have sinned? It's, it's why we proclaim the greatness of God to the peoples and to the nations, because they are also in that all as we are as well. All have sinned. There's no distinction. It's like, not, they aren't better, you're not better, I'm not. It's, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God presented Him. That is Jesus. So we're, we're, we're justified freely by God's grace through Jesus Christ. And it goes and clarifies. How is that possible? Because God the Father presented Him, Jesus Christ, as the mercy seat for us. Wow. Give me goose, goose pimples, right? Like, like the, the priest go in with a rope around his foot and offer a sacrifice of a bull and some blood on the mercy seat. Sins are forgiven, or the people. They have to do it year after year after year after year, hoping that their sins are forgiven. What did God do? Once and for all, through Jesus Christ, He presented Jesus as the mercy seat for us. And, and he is enthroned and sitting on the mercy seat between the cherubim and where he continues, the Lord Jesus continues the work of intercession for us day in and day out, saying, my work is enough. My blood spilled is enough. I sit as mediator between you and God if you put your faith in me. Isn't that amazing? This is what we're talking about. It's not, not just God, you need to have this rightful rule and reign in my heart, but it's the Lord Jesus who has to rule and reign there. He goes on, he says, and Paul says, God presented him, that is Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. Not, not works. Not even coming to sing a bunch of songs. By faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in God's restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed. He goes on, God presented him, that is Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just, so he'd be Lord, the ruler of all and the, the good judge of all. He would be just because he judged Jesus on your behalf. Because what you and I deserve, the death we deserve, was given and put upon Jesus. So he would be just and he would justify the one who has faith in Jesus. What does that word justify mean? He's Savior. It's just as if I never sinned. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, God sees me, and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on me, imputed, given freely, because he is not only Lord, he is Savior. He has ascended as God and, and should ascend in our heart as both God and Lord and Savior. 
And our worship should be a reminder. Constant reminder, back and forth to one another to let God ascend to the throne of our heart. Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians, let the peace of, peace of Christ to which you were called rule your hearts. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we approach Christ as the mercy seat, the one who continually intercedes on our behalf, making sure that our sins are forgiven and that we are safe and secure under his wing and in his refuge, and that he is the Lord that will have justice and full justice one day, we are safe and secure in him. And there is, we're at peace. Remember, without being behind Jesus, you're in front of Jesus and you're his enemy. And enemies of God are not at peace with God. That's why they're making peace with one another to come against God. They're not, not at peace with God and they will be judged. And they're implored to put their faith in Christ and be saved. So when we put our faith in Christ and when we, He forgives us because of the mercy seat of Jesus Christ, we have peace. And it says, let the peace of Christ, to which you were called into one body, that's why we gather, we are at peace with God and we come together in one body. It says, let it rule your hearts. What, what does that mean? It means to let the peace of Christ, to let God as God and Savior ascend the mountain of your heart and sit on the throne of your heart. And it says, be thankful and let the word of Christ, this is the word of Christ, let it dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching and, and admonishing one another how do we do that how do we admonish and teach one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing to god with gratitude in your heart you see responsive worship real worship is an admonishment for christ to rule over us and 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 in us and for i don't know about you for me that's oftentimes a moment by moment response I have to have. Like, whoa, wait, nope, not, not me, him. No, no, not my will, his will. Moment by moment, yielding to him. Has he ascended the throne of your heart? For number three. Responsive worship. It would be about Faith. Right? Responsive worship trusts that all power and final authority belongs to him. We trust that. Why do we have to have that reminder? Because we can't always see that. The world is a mess. My life is a mess. Your life is a mess. People are just a mess. And we seem to be running amok. And it has to be a constant reminder that although we're running amok and people are, are doing whatever they want and they're resisting God and fighting God and, and what we see all around us is always going to be evidence of people resisting and fighting God, we have to trust that all power and final authority belongs to Him. He will win. And we worship that way, don't we? We sing about that day that will come because our heart needs that reminder. Our heart needs to be perked up and said, hey, listen, it won't always be this way. There won't always be what seems to be failures and, and victories of, of evil over good. It won't always be this way. And as the psalm was written, it was written in like a present tense, not like a past, like, hey, this happened a long time ago. Why? Because God is still working right now. 
Let's, let's look at the last part of our text in verses 8 and 9. So he has all the power and authority, right? So here in verse 8, it says, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. See the present tense there. God reigns. And if your translation has a past tense, it really is actually the, the, the Hebrew is in present tense. He reigns and he is seated on his holy throne. Uh, think about the nations again. This is about the peoples and the nations, right? God's, God's a God over the peoples and nations. Verse 9, the nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. First part of that, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. He has all the power. It's his throne. It's over all the nations. And then it says the people have assembled with the people of the God of of Abraham. Now we're talking about God's people, the God, the people of Abraham. And we saw that. That was a covenant promise long ago to Abram. He said, hey, come up, get up, rise out of your land and go to the land I'm going to show you. And Abram did that. He changed his name to Abraham. And eventually he said, you're going to be the father of many nations and, and your inheritance, the people will outnumber the sand on the shore. It wasn't just talking about Israel. It was talking about anybody who would come to faith in Jesus Christ would be Abraham's descendants. Paul says that in Galatians as well. We see that, that there's this, not only is there this power, I'm going to rule over the nations, final authority of who's in and who's not is his. But he's given everyone an opportunity. He calls all. So I, want, I want all to be saved. I want you to know me. I want you to trust me. I want you to be found in my care. Those who have expressed faith in Christ are Abraham's seed and they are God's People, and he has all the authority to make them that way. And then the last part of verse 9. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is, again, going back to the power. The leaders of the earth. Some translations might say rulers or princes or shields. And Alistair and I had a great time discussing this and, and looking at commentaries regarding this. Uh, ultimately, it is this. That... that all the leaders of the earth or shields of the earth, people that might think they're protected and safe or strong, all the powers and rulers, all authorities, he has exercised absolute authority over all of the princes, rulers, and powers of the earth. There's not one that will stand up against him and win and prevail. He is more powerful than the most powerful one, even the one with the, the button has a nuke. He's more powerful than that. He is the God of the universe and we're reminded of that in Psalm 46 from last week, verse 9. He says, He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. And this is not hard for him. You know, the scene in Revelation is that the Lord will return on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth to judge the nations. And behind him is his army, the saints of God. You and I who have put our faith in him will be behind him on, on horses and linens white and clean. His is on a white horse and his linen, his white linen is dipped and drenched in blood, by the way. Great imagery, right? And, and he's going forward, and guess what? He doesn't need any of our help. The nations rage against him. Every one of them conspire at the Valley of Megiddo, and, and with the sword out of his mouth, with the word out of his mouth, he rules and reigns. All the power is his. So we trust that all his power is his, and, and, and all authority to make you and I his is his as well. 
that he has final say in that. So, so what, is the, what is our response? It's the same as it was last week. What's the last verse we see in Psalm 47? The last, the last phrase, he is greatly exalted. What was it from last week? So, uh, 46.10, stop fighting and know that I am God. He is exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. This is about the exaltation of God as both Lord and Savior. And that is what our hearts should do in responsive worship to Him. Well, we just finished uh, in our men's Bible study on Wednesday night, we just finished going through the book of Jude. Some of them would say, finally, right? It's one chapter. But the, the last two verses, I'd like you to turn there. We're done with everything else. Turn with me to the book of Jude. It's a tiny, tiny, it's one page. I'm telling you, it's one half of one page in your Bible, but it's right before Revelation. If you get to Revelation, it's right before that. Okay, Just one page, though. The introduction to it is probably longer in most of your Bibles. <clears throat> if you have a study Bible, it might be two pages. This, this should be our prayer. This should be our attitude. This should be what we sing when we get up and what we sing at the end of the day as well. So it's New Testament stuff, right? After Jesus died and rose again. By the way, Jude is the Lord Jesus' half-brother. He says servant of Christ, brother of James in the verse 1 there. James, the Lord's half-brother also. Both of which were never apostles of Christ. Never like, I'm, an, I'm one of the twelve, right? They were family members who were like, whoa, Jesus is saying he's God and he's doing all kinds of things, rebuking the leaders. Uh, we think he's crazy. Because they're his brothers. But they're the same ones who ultimately understood and realized that he is Lord of all. And they devoted their lives to him, their ministry to him, and ultimately died for him as well. So Jude now knows. And he knows what responsive worship looks like. Here it is in verse 24. He prays, he says, Now to him, who's that? The God over all, Lord. To him who is able to protect you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of His glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That should be the prayer of our heart. That should be our greatest desire, that in view of what he has done, and that, that, he, that I, through the mercy seat of Christ, I will be presented before God without blemish. And all glory and honor and majesty and power belong to him both now and forevermore. Let's stand together and pray. Father in heaven, we... We are in awe of who you are. And God, if we are not in awe of who we are, remind us of who you are. May we see you for who you are, God, as the, as the self-exalted one, the self-existent one, the one who is worthy of all praise, glory, majesty, splendor, and honor. Because you have accomplished amazing things for those who have called upon you to be saved. 
That through, your, through our faith in you, through, through the blood of Jesus Christ on the, on the mercy seat, on the throne, that we can be at peace with God and stand blameless and spotless before you. We thank you for that. Remind us of that, God, every day. And as we're reminded of that, God, may our hearts well up, not only with you on the throne in every decision and every aspect of our lives, but may our hearts well up with worship and praise to you. May our lives be about exalting you under the nations, God, to our own heart, God, that we would, we would lift you up wherever we go, knowing that you are the one who will rule and reign forever. So we trust you, and we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name.